Welcome to the Finding God in the Body podcast. I'm Ben Riggs. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to take a moment and encourage all of my listeners to subscribe to this podcast. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, well, then there are a couple of ways. Uh, one is you can share the podcast with your friends. That's always helpful, encouraging other people to listen. But you can also go over to FindingGodInTheBody.com and order the book. There you'll find two options for ordering. One is through Amazon Direct. And if you're a Prime member, then please take advantage of your free shipping and order through Amazon. But if you're not a Prime member, then I encourage you to use the CreateSpace option, uh, which is a safe way to order. It's actually owned by Amazon. But when you order through CreateSpace, more of the proceeds will go to me, the author, and less to the multi-billion dollar owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos. So... Either way, though, I just want to thank everyone for supporting both the book and the podcast, and I hope you will continue to listen. And with all that said, we can now turn our attention toward this episode. And it's obvious from the title of the podcast that the central thrust is advancing a modern view of spirituality. And what I mean by a modern view of spirituality is one that appeals to the modern mind without offending its uh, scientific sensibilities. Uh, but there is a mythological component, and that mythological component is Western in nature. It, it's, a, it's an internalized worldview that, in a, that encourages us to turn within and look within ourselves to reconnect with the life of the body, the presence of God, uh, enabling us to live more meaningful and fulfilling lives. But it also, in addition to that, gives us the practices that we need to make the, that journey. It gives us the contemplative tools, the vehicle we need to make that journey, which is a really important part. And a nice segue into what I want to talk about this week, which is the role the church plays in that modern spirituality. And by church, I don't necessarily mean specifically the Christian church, but more like generically the house of worship or the temple, the synagogue, uh, even the meditation group or the yoga class, what role do they serve in a modern spirituality? And I first started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago when I attended a church service. And it's a nice church with a good pastor, and he was giving a good sermon about how we should love our enemies and welcome the stranger in our midst. But there was one particular note that was absent, and its absence was conspicuous to me. And that note was the how-to. And it left me wondering, what do people take away from church? What do they get out of this? Uh, why are we here? And for a lot of them, I think that the answer, for a lot, not all, the answer is, I don't know. It's just what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, it feels like life is meaningless or somehow pointless, like something is missing. And our culture tells us that God is the source of meaning. And of course, you find God in church. So when we feel like life is meaningless or pointless, we turn towards church looking for answers, looking for God. So the question is, do you find God in church? And obviously, I can't answer that question for you. First of all, I don't go to church very often. But second of all, obviously, that's a personal question. But I am going to share my opinion because that's, A, the only way to advance this the narrative of this podcast. But B, I also think that it sheds some light on the role that the church would play in this modern spirituality. And my opinion is no, I don't think we find God in church. Because I don't think that's the point of church. God doesn't live in a building. God lives within ourselves. Which is why Paul asked the people of Corinth, Do you not know that your body is the temple? Back in ancient Israel, the temple was the house of God. It's where God actually lived. And so Paul was basically saying, do you not know that God lives in the body, not the building? 
And so if you show up at church looking to find God, you're going to be severely disappointed because God doesn't live in the building. God lives in your body. That is a, unless, of course, you are present and within your body while you're at church. Hopefully you do attend a church that's structured in such a way that the service takes you out of your head and brings you down into the life of the body where you reconnect with the presence of God. And of course, if the people in the pews or on the yoga mat or on the meditation cushion are embodying the presence of God, then yes, you will see God while you're in church. But obviously God doesn't live in the building. And I say that like it's an obvious fact, but the truth of the matter is a lot of people do expect to find God in church. And unfortunately, a lot of pastors and spiritual directors and spiritual teachers try to live up to that unrealistic expectation. And it turns church or worship into a spectacle rather than a practice. And ultimately, church is meant to equip us with the tools that we need to make the journey to our inmost core where we rediscover and reconnect with the ground of meaning and being within ourselves. It's intended to encourage us and support us along that path. And finally, it's there to invite us to gift ourselves back to the community, to share our life with those around us. And the point of religion is to transform lives. It's to enable us to embrace our humanity and to be whole and useful members of the human race. And in this respect, in my opinion, religion in America is by and large failing us. In order for religion to be transformative, it must invite us into the transcendent. American religion often neglects this responsibility because it's ate up with fundamentalist thinking, particularly down here in the Deep South, where I live. Fundamentalism reads scripture like it's a newspaper or a history book. And so the transcendent stays stuck in the past, which obliterates the possibility of transformation in the here and now. It says that the transcendent is off limits to everyone except for the historical embodiment of transcendence that sits on the altar of that faith. Fundamentalism in the Christian case says, well, yeah, Jesus and God were one, but you ain't Jesus. You're broken. You're damaged goods. So you'd better pray that God might have mercy on you. I mean, at the end of the day, the best that fundamentalism can really do is offer us a little bit of moral guidance and encourage us to love our neighbor, not our enemy, but our neighbor. It can't, it can't get us to love our enemy because it can't take us into the transcendent realm where we discover the strength and the power to do that. And furthermore, fundamentalism can't answer the deeper problem of meaninglessness because it alienates us from the ground of meaning. For religion to be transformative, it cannot be read in the past tense. It has to be intimately and immediately concerned with the reality of our day-to-day -day lives. If it's going to transform us, it must be read as a mythology, not as history. Mythology invites us to internalize. It invites us to involve ourselves in the story. In fact, when we read scripture as myth, it stops being a story and becomes our journey. As I wrote in my book, Finding God in the Body, at the heart of every myth is a central figure, a hero that invites us to participate in our journey. Initially, our participation is subliminal and vicarious. We get caught up in their trials and tribulations. But eventually we realize that we're caught up in their journey because their journey is a metaphor for our journey. Their stories are presented to us as our way, our truth, and our life. When we realize that their path to freedom is our path to freedom, our vicarious identification with their journey dissolves into the immediacy of our own adventure. And when our adventure comes calling, we're going to need practices that enable us to respond, that enable us to answer that call. This is another great failing of Western religion. But this failing goes well beyond the realm of fundamentalism. Well-meaning pastors around the country are quick to share hopeful and uplifting messages of love and service. But they fail to answer the all-important question, how?
how do I welcome the stranger in my midst? If I'm not already doing it, then it's difficult for me to do, so I need you to tell me how. How do I love my enemy? When I'm mad, exactly how am I supposed to return love? And what the hell does that look like? What does it look like for me to love a person that is a stranger to me? Not necessarily a stranger in name, but someone that's strange to me in their thinking. For example, what does it mean for me to love someone that believes Barack Obama is an actual disgrace and that Donald Trump is a moral leader? It certainly doesn't mean disengaging or even trying to avoid confrontation. It means entering those confrontations with both intellectual honesty and respect. It means entering those confrontations with the intention of doing good. But where do we find the strength to do that? And not just once, but on a daily basis, because that is, in fact, what it means to not only walk the spiritual path, but to be a citizen in a democratic society. And religion has to answer that question, but it has to do so without giving us the answer. Jesus and the Buddha, both of them, they both walk the path for us, but not in place of us. They blazed a trail, but ultimately it's up to us to pick up the tools they gave us and walk the path for ourselves. When we leave church, we should never leave empty-handed. We should know how to pray. We should know how to meditate. The spiritual teacher's job is not to tell us what to believe. Their job is to show us how to believe. And this is where the majority of spiritual teachers, even the most well-meaning, fail us. Church is not there to tell us about God. It is there to arrange the meeting. The word religion comes from a Latin word meaning to bind together or to unite. It's synonymous with the words yoke or yoga. It's an actionable path, a way to wholeness. Jesus offered a yoke and the Buddha offered a yoga, but much of modern religion really only offers a doctrine, and spiritual teachers have become more concerned with defending and advancing that doctrine than they have been with passing on practices. And as a result, we remain disembodied, alienated from the ground of our being, just sitting in church wondering why we're here. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we may be one with God just as he was. But that prayer isn't magically answered just because Jesus uttered it. Without a yoke, that prayer goes unanswered. We have to look deep within the body. That is what contemplation is. That is what contemplative prayer is. That is what meditation is. Contemplation is that which is done in the body, the temple. And we ourselves have to enter the temple, and we have to abide in the presence of God. That requires practice. Many spiritual teachers feel overwhelmed by this responsibility, and I suspect it's because they don't have practices to offer. Spirituality in the West has for so long been divorced from practice that generations of spiritual teachers have been raised, and they don't have anything to teach but words. I would say that one of, if not my primary motivation for writing Finding God in the Body was just this. I wanted to put forward a mythos, an internalized worldview that not only invited people to search within themselves, but gave them the tools, the practices that they needed to make that journey. Transformation requires action. To think otherwise is naive. It's the height of naivety. Transformation definitely requires action. We cannot overcome anger unless we practice love. That is, unless we get up and pray on a daily basis for the people that we resent. We have to pray for those that we despise the most, that they'll be free of their suffering, and that they'll find the causes and conditions for happiness. And we have to mean it. You know, we, we cannot just overcome stress and busyness because we want to. We have to be willing to sit down and work with our busy minds. But that is, we have to practice meditation. We have to watch as our mind drifts off into thinking about its own thoughts. 
and then we have to bring it back to the present moment. We have to reconnect with the breath. We have to feel the sensation of the breath as it strikes the nostrils, the coolness of the inhalation and the warmth of the exhalation. And we have to do this over and over and over again. We have to allow the breath to anchor us in the present moment. Yeah, it, it's true that God lives within us, but unless we do the work that we need to do in order to move beyond fear and anger and self-centeredness, the light of God is obstructed. It can't shine out into the world through our actions. Yeah, we might feel enlivened on Sunday morning, but we're going to be worn out by Wednesday afternoon. I mean, everybody agrees that we should love our enemies. The question is how? How do we love those that arouse anger within us? And only practice can answer that question. Self-examination, prayer, and meditation, they all enable God to be born into the world through our actions, and not just during opportune moments, but even in the midst of calamity. Without practice, when our buttons are pressed, God is stillborn. God is just a theory. It's something that we talk about. It's meaningless. Remember, church is for the man or the woman that's struggling. It's for those of us that are suffering. And occasionally, the suffering person will be the one who's been attending church or the synagogue or temple or been coming to the yoga class or meditation group for years. But most often, it's going to be the new person. And we have to be there for them. We have to be able to offer them another way, to offer them tools. We have to be able to give them a yoke or a yoga. But you can't give away something you don't have. You can't offer somebody a practice that you don't practice. If you want to show them how to be free of their anger, then you too have to be praying for your enemies on a daily basis. If you want to show them how to be free or to overcome the stress of their self-centered mind, then you too have to be working with your busy, self-centered mind. You have to be meditating on a daily basis. And when we view not just spiritual practice, but our relationship to others within our faith community, when we view that dynamic in that way, it takes self out of the equation. I'm no longer just sitting on Monday morning and practicing meditation for my own personal benefit. I'm doing it so that I can prepare myself to be of service to others. Whenever I pray for my enemy. I'm no longer doing it just so I can be free of my own anger. I'm doing it so that I can be there for the person who's enslaved by their anger, so that I can offer them another way. And this takes self out of the equation. And when self's out of the equation, church is no longer a spectacle. It's an opportunity for me to be of service. Church becomes in and of itself a practice and in an embodied modern spirituality. That is the role of the church.